and welcome to Property Pod with me, Emily Evans. And me, David Blackmore. Now, this is a very much a new kind of podcast aimed at a whole range of, of different people. These ones, these earlier ones are aimed very much at, you know, that first person who's buying a property. Now, for me, as somebody who's a complete novice, um, I was hopefully asking the questions that you wanted answering in terms of buying a property for the first time. Whereas Emily has been a property developer, estate agent and letting agent for over a decade. So I know a bit about this subject. Absolutely. <laughs> now on the first podcast we did, you know, we started off, we, we, we've gone right up through to making an offer. Now that went through from, you know, getting a credit card and then we are talking about a mortgage. Uh, Ind- getting an independent mortgage advisor, someone that's whole of market and someone that's preferably personally recommended to you as well. Then we're talking about the deposits, talking about 10% and what kind of mortgage you can get, how much you need. Of course, the uh, the dreaded stamp duty, which I think I knew about at the time. And, and, and listening back to the, to the first pod, I, I think of, I, I did know about it. I think it's just the cost involved mm, that, yeah. that really hit you. It's hit a killer. It's a killer. So then um, we went, we talked about finding your property. So what to look out for on a viewing. Um, I recommended to, if you can, before you make an offer, do a second viewing and take a builder with you. And then making an offer. So how to make an offer on a property, looking at the property's sold history on Zoopla and Rightmove and not giving away your top figure to the estate agent when making an offer. Oh yeah, that was certainly that that top offer. So we've, we've gone right up to this stage and now your phone rings and it's the estate agent to say, you know, hello Larry, just so that you know, the offer has been accepted. Do you have a kid called Larry or something? No, I know. I know. I just love Larry. Where's the name he, Larry coming from? I don't from? know. Just, he's, always, he's, <laughs> he's always happy, is Larry. <laughs> so then you get that call. Now, for somebody who's a first-time buyer, that's it. That's a kind of a cue of kind of celebration, popping open a champagne. But it it's a long way to go. Absolutely. So unlike Scotland, you don't actually own that property until exchange of contracts. Please be excited. It's great. However... Stay with the knowledge that you that you may have someone else might come forward with an offer that's higher and you could be what's called gazumped. Oh, yeah, I've heard about the gazumping, yeah. Yeah, so we'll cover gazumping and what that means in uh, our jargon podcast. Okay. But basically, be wary of what could happen because there are still, you know, it's not safe and it's not yours until exchange of contracts. So the next step is to instruct a solicitor. Um, now, if you can, if you do have a solicitor personally recommended to you, that's great. Um, if someone else has used them and they've had a good service, then fantastic. So word of mouth is quite key. Word of mouth is key in the whole of uh, you know the property sales mm-hmm. and lettings process. Word of mouth is fantastic. So with solicitors, you know, really look at how much they charge. Now, solicitors will only give their headline cost. So always ask for a cost, not only for their charge, but fees and disbursements. Fees and disbursements are for things like searches, parts of that you need to have um, to be able to go through the soliciting process. But, you know, the solicitors will generally only give you their headline fee. So ask for it all. Okay, so do they, you can ask for it. I don't think I did, but you can ask for a breakdown of, of, of their cost. Well, no, it's, it's not even, it, it will be as a breakdown, but some solicitors will say our cost is £450. 
when we all know a solicitor won't just charge £450, it's more like £1,000. £450 is their fee for carrying out the the work. But actually, fees and disbursements are the charges that are then also charged to you from land registry for the searches, etc. For telegraphic transfer fees, that's the fee of transferring your deposit from your bank account to the seller's bank account, um, to the solicitor's account, to the seller's bank account. So the fees and disbursements, they're not always forthcoming with those extra fees so just make sure you're asking for solicitors costs fully with fees and disbursements included yeah and i'm sure i did have to do something is it like an introduction pack or, or something along those lines yep so once you've said to your solicitor yep great we're happy with that so they send an introduction pack through of which you have documentation that you need to sign fill in all your information and then they will also need you to send in your identification they will need that identification to be um signed off as you are that person so either your mortgage advisor okay. can can do that or you'll need to go into your solicitors i know a lot of people instruct solicitors that are you know far away yeah, when yeah, actually I did, yeah. yeah when actually I do prefer having a local solicitor because it means that they're just around the corner. You can go in and they can sign everything there. It means you don't have to send your passport in the post. So it always is always good having a local solicitor. How did you find your uh, your solicitor? Word, word of mouth, yeah. Okay. yeah a, friend, a, fr- a friend of ours does it. So And a friend of ours was an independent mortgage advisor. But strangely, the bank still offered me a good um, deal. So it, it was worth going through with them. Um, but it was they were far away, and I do think sometimes they didn't have the local knowledge. Like they hadn't done other properties on that road, so there was a few not issues, but there were a few things that you would have expected a local solicitor to have known, as opposed to someone who was far away. Still, we still got there at the end of the day, but perhaps you we might think that things took a bit longer. And I think the other thing, being a friend, is that they almost go the extra mile for you um, because they want to do you a good service because you're a friend, but if you don't know them, um, can they go a bit quiet on you? Yes, they can. Like every service you'll ever pay for in life, you know, unfortunately, you do have to keep them chased. Generally, your estate agent will do what's called sales progression. And sales progression is every couple of weeks, they will call up or even more regularly than that and and find out how everything's going. And an estate agent will shove it along a bit. But sometimes they don't. So it's always best to stay on top of it yourself. Check in with them, see if there's anything that should have been in the post, come out in the post, anything you need to sign. Generally, and again, this is very generic, a sale should take between 8 to 12 weeks to go through. Sometimes it can be a lot longer if there are any problems and and there's a long chain. But I would say, you know, I've had some properties go through within uh, four weeks, some within 12 weeks. So we always say between 8 and 12 weeks. Okay, and then... What the next steps then? You get do, you, do the deeds come through and you get all of those other bits of paperwork? Yeah, to... so there is so much paperwork. And and do you know what? When I first bought my first couple of properties, I just ended up just signing stuff that I didn't know. And there will be part of that because we're not all trained conveyances. Yeah. But the one thing to really, really look at is your title plan. So your title plan will come out and it will basically be a document that shows that your property and the area that it's in with a red line to show what land is included and what land you're buying. Does that throw up a couple of... It can do. So if there's a garage um, that's further away from the property and not necessarily on, you know, at the back of the property or next to the property and there's not a red line you know where the garage is you know just flag up anything 
if, if there's an extra bit of land that you thought were, was included within that, then that's where to say, when you say, look, that doesn't seem like the land that I'm buying because the solicitor ultimately hasn't been able to see the property. They don't know what they're looking at title-wise. They know what they're looking at documentation-wise. They'll flag anything up that comes through search, you know, with regards to the searches, but they don't know that. So really look at that title plan and make sure what you're buying is included within those red lines. So then I guess the the next thing is, and and presumably, correct me if I'm wrong, but before like the mortgage, you know, provider is going to give you the money, they need to be able to see a survey. Now, for me, the different types of surveys there were you they can't almost tell you which one they want so they kind of advise which one they would suggest but actually it's up to you isn't it to make that decision as to which mortgage survey you want to do and they all vary you know in terms of the amount of work and, and detail that absolutely they have. absolutely so after instructing your solicitor you need to go back to your mortgage advisor and be woohoo we found a property um this is the price we're paying for it can you please go with the mortgage you know they will then come back to you with the mortgages again and um you will then pick which one you want and when picking which one you want sometimes you'll get what's called a free valuation included and this is where people go wrong so people will get their mortgage documents through and it will say free valuation now a free valuation is not a survey a valuation Mm -hmm. is literally the bank or building society the lender going round not not even going round into the property driving past the property and being like oh yeah they're buying that property for two hundred thousand that property is worth 200,000. That's all they do. So do not take that as a survey. You then have other options for surveys. So with regards to the survey, you can choose your level um, depending on you know what you feel you want. So again, I always recommend on a viewing to take a builder out because a builder is someone that's great that will be able to tell you anything that needs doing to that property. Yeah. But looking at, you know, you can identify what kind of survey you want from the age. So if you're buying a brand new property, I would recommend, you know, you don't need a survey. That's me just saying it. Some people go, oh, maybe still get a survey. I wouldn't say you need a survey if you're buying a brand new one. Yeah. Brand new properties come with what's called an NHBC guarantee. So they're guaranteed for, for 10 years. So everything happens with them, you, you're covered. But if you're buying, let's say, for example, a Victorian property, it might need the roof replacing, etc. So the cheapest um, form of survey you can get is what's called a condition report. And it's what's called the survey survey level one. It's around three hundred pounds. Could be a little bit more. This is a basic survey, and is it gives you a they give you a document. It's kind of like a traffic light system. So it's a uh, green for okay, yeah. amber for maybe check this out, and red for this really needs looking at. This is a problem. But even with that, they're still not they're still not looking in your loft. They're still not looking on you know. Surveyors ultimately aren't ripping carpets up to look underneath at floorboards. They can't see everything. So I would be very, very careful with that survey. And I know people want to go. They've already spent so much money on this whole process. They just want to go for the cheapest survey. But a condition report is basically the basic, basic survey. So is that, you know, that is just, so they're not pulling up the carpets, but they're walking from room to room trying to spot anything and I'm guessing it's majorly obvious that, that potentially yeah, can be majorly wrong. Yeah, majorly obvious. And unfortunately, again, some surveyors are even sending out staff that aren't surveyors to just take pictures. And then they're doing them back in the and office. And then doing them back in the office. Right, so, okay. you know, if you're at all worried, you need to be paying more money for a survey. Absolutely. Um, which takes me on to the home buyer's report. Yeah, I think this is the one that I opted for because when I looked at it, it seemed to be the most 
popular it was one that most people went for i guess most people tend to go for the middle ground anyway don't they yeah absolutely and it's the most popular option according to rick so the royal institute of chartered surveyors and there are two options in this category so if there are problems the surveyor will have a look at those problems and again they, it's non-intrusive so they're not go- again they're not going to be looking and sometimes in these cases as well they don't even go up and look in the loft so but, but again this is definitely a much more thorough report i would say and the home buyer's report survey only, and then a home buyer's report survey and valuation can range from £350 up to like £550. Wow. And I guess with the that additional one, it is looking for things like major issues, especially when it comes to sort of rot or subsidence as well. That's Oh, so that's the ho- so then the home condition survey. So this is the one up that's more like four to nine hundred four hundred to nine hundred pounds. They're more they are conducted by specialists. So this is the one I if you've got a Victorian property, there are cracks, mm. you're walking you know on the floor and there's a bit, you know, the floorboards are sinking a little bit. This is the one I would get the home condition survey because they're going to be looking a lot more at the damp they're going to be looking at the cracks more boundary issues if there are any so this is the one I would be getting for that kind of property okay. but then the next one again is building there's a whole range this is the problem there's so much choice so much choice I mean does it does it I know I know there's another survey as well but it does it it, it, it depend on the the age of the building as well it Could, it does I suppose if you are at all concerned in any way, just pay for the the built the full building survey, which is the last one, which can be um, five hundred pounds or more. It can be anywhere between five hundred pounds to two thousand pounds. You know, it's, it is expensive, but this is more extensive. This is when the surveyor will go up into the attic. Okay, so this is the one that they will look a lot more at problems. For example, if they can go into an attic and they can see if any of the um, the the joists are in it or the beams or the tiles have slipped that's where you'll find out about any root more roofing issues mm-hmm. yeah it's it's a it's a real minefield surveys i would recommend that you really look in depth at each one and if you are at all worried just pay for pay for the full building survey okay so then you've had the survey then at that stage can you is there more wiggle room then because presumably if the survey brings up issues that you hadn't seen before when you made the offer um, can you go back then and say, well, you know, it's just pulled up this damp proofing work that needs to be done. Absolutely. So that's where sometimes a survey is, you know, is worth the money because you've then got the written proof that there are these problems and you can go back to the, the estate agent, which will go back to the vendor and say, look, it need, the roof needs retiling and it, you know, it needs stripping off and needs felt and battening again. You know, and that's you know, an expensive job. That can be like 15, 20 grand. So you can then use that as a negotiation. Absolutely. So then, you know, I, what we did certainly with ours, the survey flagged up a couple of issues. We went back and said, well, actually, you know, this we've, we've had some bond come out and they said the work's going to cost X amount. We're going to take that off the price. Um, and then, yeah, we got to some middle ground and we, we got to that price. And then the next stage, of course, then is the exchange of contracts. And it's, that's a very significant point in this whole deal, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. So exchanging contracts, you are basically then tied into buying that property or not not even really tied into buying it it basically means you you send a certain money across to the other side your solicitor does um, and if you decide to pull out after that point you don't get that money back so you are basically giving over your 10% deposit yeah and if you decide to pull out pull out after that point it, you know that money's gone before exchange of contracts I would recommend that you throughout the conveyancing process you are looking at building insurance now when I first bought my first property 
I was about to exchange contracts. My solicitor said, oh, can we have your, well, my mortgage advisor said, um, oh, can we have your um, building insurance certificate? And I was like, what? I didn't know I needed building insurance. But ultimately, a lender isn't really going to release that money until they know you've got that property insured. So get your building insurance in place so that when you are due to exchange contracts, you've got the, yeah, you've got that in place. So get your building insurance and then we can go across to exchanging contracts, which is where you've signed all your documentation and you are legally um, legally bound into buying that property. And with the contract as well, you're obviously paying a solicitor to go, to go through it, but would your advice be to make sure that you're having a jolly good read of it as well? Absolutely. Have a good read. But at the same time, we're not conveyances. You are paying your solicitor for the service that they have, you know, read through everything and there is insurance in place there. So if anything has been done untoward or if they've missed something that you find out later on, there are, you know, bodies in place that mean you can go back and and get your money back if there are any issues. So Mm. do trust in your solicitor, but also do have a read through all the documentation yourself. And then the one thing, I mean, I just feel like you just don't get told about this just from general conversations with people. From the exchange of contracts to completion, does it vary in terms of how long that, that, can, that whole process can take? Absolutely. So if the property is empty, if, you, if you're buying a property that maybe a landlord had let out before, sometimes you can exchange and complete that same day. Fantastic. However, um, if there is someone living in that property, it will take as long as, you know, it will take to pack up boxes, etc. So it can be... Normally, it's about two to three weeks, something like that. So you'll have two to three weeks between exchange and completion. On completion, the house is yours um, and it's the finalising of the sale. So all the monies are passed over to the to the seller's solicitors and you take ownership of the property. So you go into your estate agent and you pick up your keys. And yes, then you can celebrate. The property <laughs> yeah, is say, yours. <laughs> I was going to say, that is the point that you can pop over in the champagne at that, at that stage. Absolutely, then. absolutely. Um, and when you go, you go and collect the keys, one thing that I would always recommend to do when you go into the property is take your meter readings. The amount of people that don't do this, and when you're buying a property for the first time, you probably don't even know what meter readings are if you've never rented before. So go into the property, go to your gas, electric meters, water meters, take the readings so that you've got the exact readings of then what you're paying for from in that property from that point onwards. And go and say hello to the neighbours as well. It's very good to have a good relationship with your neighbours. Yeah, and one thing that I was going to mention in the first pod that I forgot, you mentioned about going back to the back to the house another time with the builder. Would, would is it is it too excessive to go back at different times of the day, or you know, go at daytime, go at nighttime, go at rush hour, go. I don't know, it's school rush hour, just and uh, to just kind of get a flavour as to what it's like. Absolutely, Especially yeah. with neighbours, I guess, as well. Don't take your builder every time. No. Because your builder's going to get annoyed. But absolutely, definitely, yeah, keep going back and visiting the property at different times because sometimes you might go back on, on, you know, school chucking out time and it's near a school and you didn't realise that it was that busy. So, yeah, it's always good just to go back as many times as you can. And also there are things that happen at night that you might not know about uh, that happened when you were doing you know when you went on your viewing so yeah go back as many times as you want basically so that you're happy with the property you're buying so okay we have taken you in these two podcasts from the very very start when you're just about thinking about buying a house for the first time right to the point that you're going to the estate agent you're collecting the keys you're giving them a kiss and you're saying thank you very much and you're probably never you're not going to see him again for a few years <laughs> now throughout the two being a complete novice as i am apart from the fact i've bought the house but and a lot of it has come back to me, but there's a few bits of jargon that you probably heard and you thought, actually, I don't know what that means. And I perhaps didn't necessarily challenge it. I know I did with, with a few. Um, 
And there must be a few others as well, aren't there, Emily? Absolutely. So when you're looking online at buying a property, there are things like O-I-E-O. That means offers in excess of. of. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Offers, um, O-I-R-O. Well, it starts with offers. Offers in the region of. Uh Uh-huh, well done. We've then got AIP. So a lot of people just say, you need an AIP. Oh, Um, God, I wouldn't know what AIP is, actually. Agreement in principle. And that's with your mortgage um, lender and... That would be you've gone down, you've done kind of that summary of your incomes and outgoings without physically proving it. Yeah. But and I said, okay, this is what you can get. Yeah, okay. and that's basically them a certificate saying we're happy that um, you, we can lend you this amount of money and this mm-hmm. is what you can get. So that's what's an, what an AIP is. Okay, buy to let. Obviously, that's when a property is purchased specifically to let or rent out. Yeah. Chain. So chain will be spoken to about a lot. Yeah. Which do you know what? When you when I first bought when I first bought a house, that it did come up a lot, and I think, what is this chain? What is this <laughs> thing? And it, it it does sound silly, but actually. Um, it makes perfect sense when you've bought it, especially when you're in the bottom of a chain. Absolutely. So a property chain is created when there are multiple transactions that all need to occur at the same time for each sale and purchase to conclude. So you might be at the top of the chain, the bottom of the chain, but ultimately each part of the chain needs to go through for you to be able to purchase that property. Okay, yeah, I get it, I get it. Okay, Um, so we've got also common parts areas. (laughs) So So is that... I mean, is that communal spaces? So like hallways and... Yeah, so these are parts of a freehold building that are shared by the leaseholders. So yeah, the hallways and staircases, okay. you put that bang on. Completion, we've spoken about just a second ago. So that's the finalising of the sale. Completion statement, that's the documentation drawn up okay. by your solicitor. No idea. Showing all the costs and monies due to complete the purchase of your property. Okay? Mm-hmm. Conveyancing. Well, that's your solicitors. So solicitors conveyancing um, the process undertaken by the buyers and sellers solicitors to tran- of transferring the legal ownership. Yes, yeah, I, that doesn't scream conveyancing to me. Well, it must be it must be Latin for something. But um, <laughs> yeah, if you'd asked me what conveyancing actually was, I don't think I would have I would have come up with that definition. So that yeah, something new I've learned. Deeds. Uh, is that just like the kind of the is it the ownership dating back or is it just the this this is the property. Yeah, it's the, so it's the original document. Okay. So sometimes one the first property I bought was a lovely 1920s Victorian. Uh, it was beautiful, and actually I had this lovely poster that I had framed that came in the deeds that was the first particulars of sale of that property, and they were beautiful on a really lovely bit of parchment. Really nice. So the deeds are very interesting. I'd always recommend everyone to have a look through all the old deeds. They're lovely. Obviously, we've got the disbursements. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't flag up disbursements actually. When you mentioned it earlier on, I, I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't mention that. But yeah, so I don't know. Is it just addition? It's additional fees of some sort. Yeah, fees paid by the buyer's solicitors that the buyer will reimburse. Yeah. We've then got equity, negative equity. Okay, well, I know it now, but I mm-hmm. think at the time when people started talking about equity, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't get it at all. But obviously, so now obviously your house is, you know, you bought it for hundred thousand, and it's now worth or valued at hundred fifty thousand. That's a positive negative uh, equity. But if it's eighty thousand, that's negative. Yeah, okay. absolutely, absolutely. Exchanging of contracts, which we spoke about. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, when copies of signed contracts are exchanged between the buyers and sellers solicitors and the point at which both parties are legally committed to the sale or purchase. Okay. We've then got fixtures and fittings. So you'll see that in uh, your legal pack from your solicitors. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What do you reckon that means? 
what well, isn't it just all the uh, kind of perhaps what is what you physically are buying within the building absolutely absolutely yeah. so it's the, a list of non-structural items okay and actually you can also um it's something i missed off actually you can get them included in the in the sale if you want so let's say for example there's a lovely log burner you know you make an offer subject to the log burner being left so you know that's included in fixtures when we ha- when we had ours done i think there was like a sofa in the front room and we didn't want it yeah. and he's well i'm gonna have to take this out then okay <laughs> we, d- we don't want it i have known people to take the carpets really take lift up the carpets and take the carpets with them because ultimately you know they are a fixture and fitting at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, sure. But so we spoke a bit about this in uh, the previous podca- podcast, leasehold and freehold. So the yeah. freeholder is the person who owns a property outright, including the land it's built on. Okay. And gazumping. We spoke yeah, about gazumping. That's right. So I don't know what, at what point, but so if you've made an offer and the offer's been accepted and then you've had... You had the offer accepted, and then is that the point that somebody can then come in and say, is it because it always comes up sole subject to contract? contract so, SSTC or STC, yeah. So, is it, at what point can you, that was the last point you, gazump, what if you exchange contracts? Can you still gazump? Oh, no, you point? can't still gazump, you can't gazump then. So, it's before the exchange? It's before exchange. So, um, and generally, just out of decency, an estate agent would only kind of allow that to happen a couple of, you know, either a week either side of them making the offer. A good estate agent won't show anyone else around after an offer has been accepted. Okay, you say good. A good estate agent. But at the end of the day, this viewer could have viewed it three weeks prior and then have just come in a week later and been like, we viewed it, we've actually decided we want it and we're going to pay, you know, five grand more. Mm -hmm. So that's what gazumping is. Gazumping is where the seller, having already had an accepted offer, decides to accept a higher offer from another buyer. So we've got ground rent. So ground rent is the annual fee which a leaseholder pays to a freeholder. Okay, so that's if you're getting involved in a leasehold property. Yeah. Land registry. Yeah, so so that is... I mean, it just to me, it just strikes me as kind of like a an old old farty office where documents are stored <laughs> that um, are very important. A central government database, David. Okay, same same thing <laughs> with slippers and pipes. Yeah, so that will come up a lot that because your documentation will come from land registry. List. So when you're buying a property, it might say a listed building, grade one or grade two listed. Grade one is like more concerning than grade two. Yep. And basically, a listed building is a property registered and protected as being of special interest or historic importance and for which you need to get permission from the local authority to make changes to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So whether it's grade one or grade two, it might have sash windows and you want double glazing. You might not be allowed. Well, you probably won't be allowed to, to change that. Yeah. So when you're buying a property, look out for that. Because with grade one, it even comes down to alterations internally. You can't knock down walls. You can't move. You know, you can't do a lot to grade one or grade two listed properties. Okay. Okay. Bring on the next one. LTV. Um, the thing is, it was annoying. Is as much <laughs> as I'm a novice to this, I've I've actually done it quite recently um, in order to fund more work in the house. So it's loan to value. Loan to value. So loan to value is the amount a mortgage lender is prepared to lend you against the value of your property. So we spoke about deposits being 5%, 10%, yeah. 20% earlier. It's the other side of that. So if you've got a 10% deposit, you have got 90% loan to value, LTV. Mortgage term. 
So mortgage term means the, uh, the period that you're borrowing that money over. So if you're young, stretch it out as long as you can. Bang yeah. it out on a 35-year term. There's a lot of people that just want to get it paid as quickly as possible. And like you know, they'll go for the minimum. And then, you know, before you know it, you, they just can't keep up with the payments. We'll talk about this in our Buy to Let Property podcast, but... Owning a property outright is really what our parents would, you know, our parents do and they've always, and they've done. When actually, in my opinion, I think about this very differently. I would rather release equity from each property to own more properties and not actually have all my money tied up, tied up within one. So, so. How, how much would a lender today give you realistically? If, if you're 30, would they give you a 40 year? No, 35 years is the, max. is the maximum okay. term you can, uh, yeah, you can borrow over. POA. I have no idea. Power of attorney. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. When estate agents are talking, you might hear about probate, POA. That's generally a property that someone that has been appointed to act on behalf of the for the for the legal financial affairs when they're not able to. So the owner maybe has gone into a home or something. So the property is then being dealt with by a power of attorney for probate. Yeah. Yeah. Something I'm like there. That. Okay. Yeah. Ricks, which we spoke about. Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors. Yeah, I'd have to say I, there was a lot of Rick's business when I was buying, and I'd, no, I just it sounded like some kind of illness. <laughs> I'm very, I'm sure they'd be happy to hear that. <laughs> SDLT, which is Stamp Duty Land Tax. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know the L, LT added on on the end of it. I just thought it was just Stamp, stamp Duty, duty but yeah. yeah, I wouldn't have got that one. Now, this is a really important one that I want to really stress and talk about and our last one on our jargon, property jargon, joint tenants and tenants in common. So when buying a property and at the point that you're at when you are sorting the mortgage and the the solicitors out, the conveyancing out, if you are buying with a partner or buying with someone else, you will have to decide whether you want to be joint tenants or tenants in common. Now, joint tenants is basically... If one of if someone dies, their share of the property automatically passes over to the other owner. Okay. Yeah. So regardless of what the will says, so two people, boyfriend and girlfriend, the, if the boyfriend dies, the girlfriend will get the other part of the property. Uh-huh. Okay. When tenants in common means that the ownership, when well, again when the ownership is within two people and one of them dies, their share of the property forms part of their estate. So it will be passed it can be passed on to someone else within their oh, estate. I've got you. I've got you. And okay. it's really important to make sure that especially if you're not married, you don't want to pass it on to your husband and wife or, you know, or children and there's someone else that you want to pass it on to, that you go for tenants in common rather than joint tenants. Okay, well, there you go. There was the jargon buster. And I didn't think I did too badly, but I should say there was a lot there that I didn't know. And I think it's good to know a lot of those ones. Okay, so our first two podcasts have been all about how to buy a house specifically aimed at those of you who are buying for the very first time. But what about when you've got a house or you've you want to then take it to the next level um our next podcast is going to be talking about how to buy a buy to let you're listening to the property pod